This week, we have Elite Series rookie, Bassmaster Classic qualifier, and Bassmaster record holder from the West Coast, Bryant Smith. And as if that's not enough, back in our life once again, Jake's take. Jake LaTondres from the Bassmaster Open on Lake of the Ozarks. Both join me this week on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. As always, you're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. I hope you're all having a great week. And um, we got a great show for you this week. We got Bryant Smith. He's an Elite Series rookie from California. A highly hyped rookie. And boy, did he back it up. Uh, what a first season on the Bassmaster Elite Series. He qualified for his first Bassmaster Classic. Finished 13th in Progressive Bassmaster Angler of the Year points. Finished third in the Dakota Lithium Rookie of the Year race. Um and along the way, set an all-time Bassmaster record for the five biggest smallmouth bass ever weighed in in Bassmaster competition. 29 pounds, five ounces. Did that on day number one of the uh, final stop of the year, which was on the St. Lawrence River. So we got him, and as if that's not enough, we're going to have uh, Jake LaTondres back on the show, friend of the show, with Jake's take from the Bassmaster Open on Lake of the Ozarks. So lots of goodness coming, and uh, this is a week filled with goodness, really. Because um, this is Bass Fishing Hall of the Fame week. That's right. Uh, in Springfield, Missouri, I'll be traveling there to be part of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, um, which is a job I love doing every single year. Thank them for... Um, inviting me because let's be honest i mean the only place i deserve to be at any hall of fame inductions is announcing the hall of famers um but it's a it's a great it's a great gig it's it's a phenomenal moment for the sport really it just everybody gets together and it's a celebration of the sport it's a celebration um of the history of the sport and three great inductees this year uh, Glenn Andrews, Bruce Holt, and uh, Mike Iaconelli. Mike Iaconelli, um, I I can't wait to hear his speech. I'm really excited about that. Um, I, Lord knows where it'll go. I mean, um, Ike is uh, Ike is an amazing, amazing person for what he's accomplished and what he's done. I just tune in next week. I will give you a full breakdown on the Iaconelli uh, speech and uh, the evening and uh, festivities because it will be a big week. And um, that being said, it is a big week that does not come without a big bill and a uh, big way that they make the Hall of Fame what it is. It's actually part, I mean, there's a physical bass fishing Hall of Fame now. It's in the Wonders of Wildlife Museum, which I know when you hear the word museum, you're like, oh. I went to those on school trips. I've been to enough museums. No, I wish my school went to school trips. Places like Wonders of Wildlife, an incredible museum. It, it blows me away. I mean, every single, I've been through it five or six times now, and every single time I go there, that's one of the things I want to do is go check it out because they're always doing new stuff. They're, I mean, it is amazing. If you like the outdoors, 
you will love the wonders of wildlife. And a part of that is the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. And um, this event, not only just a celebration of sport, but a great fundraiser for the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame to always get bigger and get more interactive and and inspire more people to be part of the sport that we all love. So thank you, Johnny Morris, for allowing us to be part of Wonders of Wildlife. And thank you to all of you for supporting the event. Whether you're there, you don't have to be there to support it. Being there is great. Um, there is so many, it means an opportunity to meet the who's who of the fishing industry. It is a weird time. You get to see all sorts of pro anglers without hats and glasses, and some of them are hard to, you know, recognize. Um, but it's a fun, fun event. But you can support it online. I'll leave the link down below because they have an incredible auction that they do. Uh, some great, you know, once-of-a-lifetime opportunities um, that you can get there. Um, the last jersey that Kevin Van Dam won on tour, that's going to be auctioned off. Um, the one that stands out to me that I would love, if you're looking for a gift for me, I'd love it. Um, the Greg Hackney Sasquatch Hunt. Um, that's right. He has um, put it up for auction. Go Sasquatch hunting with Greg Hackney. Um, what more needs to be said? Um, but it will be a great week. And I thank everybody that donates their time to be part of the board from the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame and everybody that supports that event. Again, I will put the links down in the description so you can support that in some way because it is something that definitely deserves a support and it just keeps getting better and better every single year. Um, I also have a pretty unique thing for you because i mean you know i i love that you guys tune in here i mean it blows me away the support this show gets it blows me away how many of you have subscribed and i mean we are closing in on three hundred thousand youtube subscribers three hundred thousand i mean it, it's unfathomable to me and i thank you guys so much for that but rather than just kind of stroking my ego a little bit this podcast, I mean, I, I, get into, I don't do it anymore, but I used to call it a silly little podcast because, I mean, everything I do is silly, I think. You know, I mean, the stuff I yell on stage is silly, but somehow it's become a living for me. So I'm thankful for it. So when I call this a silly little podcast, I'm not downgrading this show or insulting myself. That's just my self deprecating humor that I that I have and always have been um, but man this silly little podcast actually did something really really good and I have not even asked the two people involved in this if I can talk about it and maybe I should have but I'm gonna talk about it anyways just because Thank you. Thank you guys for being the freaking community that you are. Because I say it all the time. I say how great you guys are and I'm thankful of it. But it physically something happened that makes this podcast, that makes this existence, that makes our time together to me all worthwhile and so rewarding. Um, so much more rewarding. I talked about Tommy Wood a little while ago. If you didn't hear that story, check out the Carl Jacobson podcast I did 
just a little while ago with him. I think a month and a half ago or so. But we did talk about Tommy Wood for about 10 minutes. Tommy Wood wants to follow in Carl's footsteps and come to America and fish. He's an Australian angler that wants to be a Bassmaster Pro, wants to be part of the Bassmaster Elite Series, wants to fish the Bassmaster Classic. I mean, he's watched Carl do it, and he wants to do it. Um, long story short, had some travel issues, was on his way back to the U.S., got stopped in Hawaii, and his flight was literally, he was told to get on another flight and go back to Australia and was not allowed to come to America because of some paperwork from his previous trip. I don't know the details. And I, and I, and I, I, out of respect to them, I don't know, I don't need to get into the details. But basically, I mean, we've all had situations where we've, you know, had an issue at a border. I mean, maybe not all of us, but I have. <laughs> and it is one of the most helpless feelings on earth because there's nothing you can say and do. You just kind of hope that somebody can help you. Well, we told that story, and another guy that, that, that I, I don't really know that well. I mean, I just know him as a viewer of the show. I mean, he's active, it seems, on most podcasts in the fishing industry, and that's Drunkwood. Um, many of you may know him. Well, he heard that story on this podcast, and... This Drunkwood dude is quite the cat. I mean, all I know about him is he likes to listen to fishing podcasts. He makes some incredible wood art. I don't know that's his full-time job. I think he has another job. Um, he loves the movie Roadhouse, which me and him have in common, which, which I mean, I, I that vouches a lot for me. Um, but clearly he has some friends in high places because one of his friends who is a lawyer, an immigration lawyer, actually did some pro bono work for Tommy Wood. And he's allowed to come back to America. He's allowed to chase that dream. Um, I don't know any of the de – I mean, he's like he sa said to me, I, I checked it with Tommy, and I said, you're good? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I just need to save money. So he's, he's saving money to make another trip back to the States and chase the Bassmaster dream. And all I have to say is thank you. I, I mean, I feel bad saying thank you, Drunk Wood. But uh, that's how I know you, and I think that's how most people know you. But, dude, to listen to a story on this podcast and to, I mean, it, to actually go out of your way, to reach out to somebody you know, a friend of a friend, to help a friend. And, and Tommy's not even somebody he knows. You know what I mean? Tommy's just another angler, but that's what proves to me how special this community is and how special the people that take the time to listen to this every single week. And I thank him for helping a friend. And um, the world needs more people like that. People that, and he didn't ask to have me talk about this. As I said, I didn't ask them if I'm allowed to talk about it and I hope they're okay with it. But kudos to good people helping good people. And um, if, that's, if that's the mark that this silly little show leaves on the world, I consider us successful. If we become a 
bunch of good people helping other good people. I, I think it's pretty good. So, I mean, uh, probably tune out right now. I mean, we've done our goodness for the week. But, but there's more goodness still to come. And let's start it off by going to the West Coast and hooking up with Bryant Smith. Bryant Smith, Bassmaster Elite Series rookie and Bassmaster freaking record holder. Not a bad rookie season, dude. Oh, it's uh, more than I could ever ask for. I promise you that. You know, you go into these seasons, and yeah, I went into my rookie season. I had a lot of question marks, you know, and and to see how it it worked out, man, uh, couldn't be happier. When when you say you had a lot of question marks, um, were those question marks for you or or for the people that back you or or all of the above? No, they were all they were all for me. You know, yeah. you go. Yeah, because you know, I fished at a lot of different levels. You know, I've kind of taken the stair step approach, always made sure that I was ready to move on to the next level before I did in fishing. Um, and this was the biggest step that I've ever taken. And you just you have no idea. You hear about how good these guys are, and you hear the the stories of just they catch them and they don't stop and they keep catching them and on and on and on. And I went into this year and. I just had no idea how I would I would hold up against them. And that was that was the biggest question mark for me. It was just the the unknown of how good they really are and how good am I, you know, truly. When did that question get answered for you? It took a little while. Um, you know, it took a little while. I gained so the first one at Okeechobee, I made uh, it, I was a mess. <laughs> I was an absolute mess the first day. Um, you know, you launch next to all these guys that you've looked up to your whole life and you're like, holy crap, I'm, I'm here. This is, and they're not going to let off, you know, just because it's my first day on the job. So it took a few, it took a few tournaments to kind of get comfortable with fishing there. And then, um, you know, we went to South Carolina swing was really good for me. Uh, Murray, I had a really good tournament. Yeah. Santi, I had an amazing tournament, top 10. That was a huge confidence booster. Um, that was when I kind of felt like, okay, I can compete, you know, largemouth. I can do that in the Southern Lakes. Um, felt confident there. But then I still had that big question mark of up north because, you know, I'm from California. We don't have, we don't have big water like that. We don't have big smallmouth like that. So that was the other the other question mark for me going into the season was, you know, how am I going to stack up against these guys up north? And, uh, man, you know, St. Clair, it was a good tournament for me, you know, first time up north really in a, in a big tournament. Uh, I think I was in the 50s. I will definitely take that against that crew. And then Champlain was the one kind of circling back to your original question. Champlain was the one where I was like, okay. I can compete against these guys because I'm doing something I've never done before. And I did it with success against the best field in, in fishing. So that was, that was the one where I was like, okay, you know, maybe I do kind of belong here. Well, I, I mean, the standings definitely show that you belong here. I mean, um, and, and I said it to you after the last event, I was like, this year's rookie of the year kind of sucks because not that it sucks, but it's so, it's ridiculous. So I mean, Gary Fajita did not win rookie of the year and he made five top tens. Um, 
But Joey Sifuentes won two events. You know what I mean? Like, and I look where you are. I mean, I think you finished 13th or 14th at Angler of the Year points, which generally, mm-hmm. if you look at all of the Angler, like for a lot of years, it was like the person who wins Rookie of the Year would win, would, would just qualify for the Classic. But it just mm-hmm. seems like Anglers are getting better and better. Rookie class is getting better and better. And obviously, um, you had a great rookie campaign. But but this year's rookie class was ridiculous. Do you agree? Oh, I, and we had this conversation on stage multiple times on how good the rookie class was this year. Uh, I I would put our rookie class up against any rookie class that ever came in from the Elite Series because we really we had the best of the best. I mean, we had everybody you know, all the way down the list. It doesn't matter where where they ended up. You know, finishing this season, you could go one through nine qualifier, one through ten qualifiers for the rookie year, uh, rookie race, and every single one of those guys belongs on the elite series. There's no doubt, and every single one of them can compete at that level. So yeah, it was it was definitely a rough year to be a rookie. I mean, there was there was no slipping up. If you, I think I let it for I re, I let the rookie of the year race for like a day or something. <laughs> like oh man, this is great, and then it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. We're chasing again. So yeah, that was that was a really really incredible rookie rookie class. And yeah, I've been watching the opens um, pretty closely all season and we're going to have another rookie class that yeah. is going to be as insane. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's no, the, the elite series I've been kind of thinking about it in the next like three years with based on the way they qualify through the opens now in the next three years, I like, it's going to be impossible to qualify for a classic. It's, <laughs> it's going to be ridiculous. Is, it, is that concerning? I mean, when you really look at it that way, I mean, that has to be concerning. I mean, this is what you've chosen to do is your line of work. And it's in a lot of jobs. Like, let's say you start a sandwich store. The first few years are the worst years. That's where you got to survive. And then it gets easier. I don't know that your career is going to get any easier. No, no, it's not going to get easier. There's no way. With the way they have the open structured where you have to fish all nine, um, dude, you have, like, you're ready to, you're ready to go. Like, yeah. you, you know how it works now. You can't, like, I got really fortunate when I qualified. I got to qualify just through three tournaments. And, you know, anybody could really have the right three tournaments and, and kind of make it into the Elite Series. There's nobody that's just going to get lucky and fish nine tournaments and get into the Elites anymore. Like, you are going to earn it and you are going to be ready. And that's, yeah, it's, it's scary. You know, it's concerning for sure. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go fish the Elite Series to just, just because it was easy it's not easy i wanted to i wanted to compete against the best and that was uh that's that's kind of it's almost exciting for me really is just to see how strong this this field is going to get over the next three five ten years who when you let's go back to okeechobee that first event um which you self-described as a mess (laughs) what (laughs) who who was the like what were the moments where you were like holy that's Greg Hackney or that's so yeah. like, uh, I oh, mean, yeah. what does that morning feel like? Because I, I think you honestly are one of the first people to put it in words, but I feel like every rookie comes to the elites and feels the exact same thing. Like they, they may have done, doesn't matter. They've all done things wherever they from, but that whole like 
it, am I, there's no measuring stick. I don't care if you want yeah. every open, you still might not be good enough. So I think yeah. everybody feels that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, a little history on me. I am an absolute bass nerd. Like I love bass fishing. I live it. I breathe it. You know, I, I know, like I've followed it my whole life. This is, this has been every, the only thing I've wanted to do since I was 10 years old. And I watched Kevin Van Dam win the Bassmaster Classic on a, I think it was a 16 inch TV in my grandmother's house. Like that, wow. like I, I've been like, it's all, it, it's been all or nothing for this. So to get to this level and then the moment, the real moment was when I'm sitting there. So I got there two hours early because I don't know how any of this works. Apparently, you know, it, it, <laughs> I, I learned really quick that these guys are really good, not only at fishing, but launching their boats and everybody's in the water in about a half hour. So I got there like an hour and a half, two hours early, and I'm just sitting there waiting and watching. And then Larry Nixon's boat backs down the launch ramp and I'm parked like right next to it. Um, and it was, that was it. That was the holy crap moment. And then, you know, after that, I kind of got out of the way because I, clearly I'm in the way. I'm parked next to the boat ramp. Everybody's trying to beach their boats right there. So I go float around for a little bit and I'm floating next to Scott Martin on Okeechobee. You know, I'm floating next to Greg Hackney. I'm There's Jason Christie right there. Like you can't, I can't put it into words what that day was. And um, it, it's, you know, it, it's one of those really, really special things that I will never forget. I could replay just sitting there before the tournament started. I could replay that in my mind almost perfectly. Really? Mm -hmm. So, so it was KVD that got you. Wh wh when did this, you said since the age you were 10 years old and you watched Kevin Van Dam win the Bassmaster Classic. Literally, was that the light switch moment where you're like, I got, I got to do this. It, yeah, it was. It was. That was the one. Um, you know, we, I would watch, you know, I watched bass fishing and, and on TV and all that stuff, but I'd never really watched the the competition side of it too much. You know, I've watched Hank Parker, Roland Martin and, and Bill Dance and all that on Saturday mornings, but I'd never really watched the competition side of it. And I was already, you know, infatuated with fishing in general. But it was, yeah, I was sitting, it, it was, uh, it was at my grandma's house and, and it was the 2001 Master Master Classic at New Orleans. And I watched the confetti fly down and I watched the sparks go up behind him. And that was the one where I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. I want to do that. And nothing's going to stop me. So from that moment when you were 10 years old and you fell in love with it, give me the Reader's Digest for how did, I mean, you're what, 32 now? Mm-hmm. So, so where have you been for the last 22 years of your life? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like I said before, just doing the stair step. Um, I, I, you know, it's crazy to think about some of the guys that are on the elite series now and they're 22 and 23 years old. And I look back at Wild. myself. Where, yeah. I'm like, where was I at 22? Well, I was fishing regionally. Um, it's a little different coming from California and it's a little different kind of coming before the big college boom, um, you know, where I just kind of worked my way up regionally. I fished my first tournament when I was 16 years old with my dad, um, had no idea what we were doing, but we just showed up, put our money in and fished. And, uh, you know, from that moment forward, I was like, this is, this is really cool. So did that for a few years, uh, just local team tournaments with my dad and a couple of friends, started doing some co-angler stuff. 
I think I was 19 um, and ended up winning uh, on the coingler side in one of the old FLWs. Uh, and that kind of kind of springboarded me into the pro side. I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's jump in there. Um, I was not ready, but we did it anyway. Learned a lot about how to lose and how to get better and stuff like that. And then, you know, for the past 10 years after that, Let's see, I was 20. So, yeah, from 20 to basically 30, I just worked my way up on the West Coast. I fished every big tournament that I could, every big tournament that was on the West Coast. Did the National Professional Fishing League for a few years. And um, in 2022, I gave it another shot at the Opens, and we made it. Somehow we made it in three tournaments, had the perfect three tournaments, and, and now we're here. So this whole time when you've been competing – regional events, NPFL, I mean, have you ever had a job outside of fishing or have you found a way to make a living through fishing all this time? Um, no, I've, I've guided, you know, I've done the guiding thing back home and, and did, you know, I do odd jobs around the house, but yeah, the most, most of it has been just on fishing and, you know, I don't live a, I don't live a very exciting life except for the fishing, you know, so <laughs> I got to, I had a really good, um, I had a really good three years in my mid twenties where I, I ended up winning a boat every year for three years. And I just kind of bankrolled everything because I knew, you know, the way I did it was I was always looking forward to the next step. I was always trying to prepare for the next step. And I know how fishing works because I've done it for so long. Is you're not going to make money consistently. So when you do make money, you got to make sure you save a good chunk of it. And uh, I did that. I had a really good kind of three-year stretch, like I said. And I just kind of bankrolled all, a lot of that and, and just prepared myself for the next, the next step. And that's kind of how I've always done that. I've always wanted to make sure that I was ready for the next step financially before I took it. Because that is uh, – I've fished, I've fished when I didn't have any money in my bank account. And uh, you don't fish very well. So no. being comfortable like that is was was really important for me. I, I was lucky that I learned that at a young age, that uh, you know, fishing comfortably is when you're going to fish your best and whatever that means. Yeah, it's if you ask me, it's one of the big travesties of the sport of fishing, kind of in a lot of ways. And what I mean is that, I mean, if you can be making league minimum if you're a pitcher. And you're pitching against the whoever it is, the guy in the league that's making millions and millions of dollars. But even you're pitching, you're making league minimum. You're making way more money than most of the people you went to school with, even at mm -hmm. league minimum. So, like, the last thing you're thinking about is, I need to not walk him so I can make sure I can get this check. Yeah. In fishing, you, you are. It's one of the – to me, I don't know how to fix it. It's easy to say – in a world where there'd be no entries there'd be, but it's still going to be those. You're not going to have that. It's a weird thing about fishing where there is the mm -hmm. gambling element to it. How do you, as a guy who's married, has a kid, like how do you, you're gambling with a lot more than just house money. I mean, you're gambling <laughs> yeah. with the house's money. The house. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you, is, is that why you think you've been so, in some ways careful, which I think is smart, you know, to make sure you're ready for the next step. Cause I do think in this sport, sometimes people get that opportunity early and it's too early. And, and I don't know if they ever got, like you were ready when you came to the elite series. Yeah. 
is is that why you've always had to be that way? Um, I think it is. I think it's you know, it's 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 the way I fish that definitely helps that too. I'm not a big um, swing for the fence guys. I never have been. I never will be. Um, I've always been the you know catch what you can and worry about the rest later. And I won't say that I fish for a check, but if I'm on the fish for a check, I'm going to go catch those fish. I'm not going to go try and win the tournament on some fish that don't exist. So I've always tried to be a little more calculated with that and careful with that because I, you know, this this is my main source of, of income. It is bass fishing in general. Um, so, you know, being a little more calculated on that has, it, I think it lends to a little, little more success longevity wise and that's yeah. that was my plan coming into this this season was to make sure that i stay here for a long time i want this to be my last job that i ever have i want the elite series to be the last the last you know the last tournament circuit that i ever fished and everybody knows how the qualifications work to stay on the elite series and it's a running average so if I go out my first year and I take a bunch of risks and I go try to win one and, and, you know, and I fish for fish that I think are there when I know there's, you know, consistent check fish somewhere else, I, I go take all these risks. Um, and I have a bad year, you know, I started in, in the eighties or the nineties, you know, you're clawing your way back now. Um, yeah. it, it makes it a lot harder to stay on because now you're, now you're playing from behind. Um, whereas if I just, and, and I'm not saying that I was fishing, I, I had no idea I would end up in 13s in the points, but you know, I was definitely a lot more, more calculated with my fishing this year, a lot more careful. And I'm trying to play the long game where I do get to be on the elite series in 10 years, you know, where I'm still here in 10 years, because it seems like the longer you stay on the elite series, the better chance of staying on the elite series you have, um, just the way the way that it works out. So I knew that the first two to five years were going to be very important to kind of lay the foundation. And, uh, you know, I'm not taking, I uh, trust me, I want to take risks. I want to go win a blue trophy more than anything in my life. You know, that, that is the goal, the blue trophy, classic, all that stuff. But, um, you know, I want to make sure I'm here for a long time. So I'm able to do that. Do you feel, um, being the only, California angler on the elite series. Do do you feel more pressure? I mean, because the whole, I mean, I, I think just seeing it through the Canadian guys and I, and I, mm -hmm. the California thing is a very, uh, it's an amazing community. You know, it's a very vocal, very, do you feel like, I mean, you carry a lot at one time, there was a lot of West coast dudes on the elites. There's not so yeah. much anymore. Do you feel pressure with that? Or, or is that a career advantage for you really? Because, of the support you get from home. I think that's a way better way to, to look at it. Yeah, there is pressure. Um, you know, I got a whole West coast to kind of represent and uh, I try to do it to the best I can, but you know, the support that I get from the West coast and, and everybody out here back home, is it, it means the world to me and it motivates me big time to just keep going and, and do, do the best I can. You know, the days that you wake up and, uh, you know, you're on the tail end of a back-to-back -to -back tournament. You're like, man, I could just sleep in for an extra half hour. 
no, I got the motivation behind me from everybody who supports me. You know, I'm out here living my dream, and uh, I've been I've been very blessed to to make it to the top level and to live a dream that a lot of people have. And I'm not gonna take it for granted. And I'm gonna take that support. I'm gonna use it as motivation, like you said. If I were to go on a chat board, if I were <laughs> to go on a chat board and look around. <laughs> Uh, a West Coast chat board. There's a lot of people saying what you do is impossible. I mean, a West Coast person mm -hmm. ca clearly can't make the elites. Um, how do you feel about that? I'm here. <laughs> I made it. You know, Maddie Wong's from Hawaii. Yeah. Brandon Polonix from Idaho. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of us, but it, it doesn't it doesn't matter how many of us there are. It's just the fact that there are West coast guys yeah. means that it's possible. Um, is it the easiest route? Absolutely not. I'll never say it's the easiest route, but um, yeah, like I said before, nothing was going to stop me from, from making it to this level. Uh, if I didn't qualify last year, I would have been fishing the EQs this year and I would have kept fishing the EQs until I made it. Um, you know, I'm lucky that I do get to, to take that that risk but um i think anybody can make it there you know if you have the right support and you have the, the dedication to do it and you have the motivation to do it and you give it a hundred percent anybody could make it to the top level of anything uh, you know there's just it's i, I think especially in, in in today's world it's easier to make an excuse than to make a reason why you should be there. Uh, it's always easier to make an excuse, you know. Uh, like I said, thirty seconds ago, it's easier, you know, just take the take the mooring off. But you know, you know that you need to be out there. You know that you need to be putting in the work. Uh, that's the hard way to do it, but it's also the way that leads you to where you want to be. Yeah, and I hate that narrative. And and I I agree with you. It is incredibly tough to make the elite series mm -hmm. if you're from the West Coast. It is also incredibly tough to make it to the elite series. If you're from Canada, Australia, Japan, mm -hmm. any of the countries that are yeah, represented, I mean, like it's, and, and I know what you're saying. People from the West coast hear me say that. And you're saying, well, boy, those are other countries, which they are, but in some situations they're closer <laughs> than, yeah. than the West coast is Yeah, whether it's right or wrong. Um, I mean, here's what drives me crazy. The elite series was supposed to be going to the West coast, but then the group of anglers that end up leaving the elite series voted that down. So we wouldn't go to the West coast. <laughs> like I love going to the West coast, but I, I think that there is a thing out there that bass dislikes the West coast. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. I don't think it could be further from the truth. Like if you look at bass nation events and different things like that, they're all at West. I just think economically right now, it's a tough thing to do to ask the whole field to go out there. But that being said, we ask you to do it every single week. So I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. I, yeah. The way I have a lot of opinions on this, um, I knew what I was getting into going into this. I knew that it's going to be hard to live on the West coast and fish on the East coast. I figured out a way to do it. Um, anybody can, can do it. It's not, it's not impossible. I actually probably spend less money on gas now fishing just the East coast than I did when I was traveling around the West coast. 
because I would have to drive home every time. You know, I drive, I drive to the Delta. Yeah, it's an hour, but I drive to the Delta, you know, 25 times. I drive to Clear Lake two and a half hours. That's, you know, I do that 15 times a year. I go to Havasu. That's a 10 hour drive that I would do, you know, two to four times. Me, Columbia River. You know, we have a lot of fisheries, but a lot of them are really spread out. So I ended up burning a lot of gas just fishing on the West Coast. On the East Coast, I just buy a plane ticket home. You know, I drive yeah. to the next event and I buy a plane ticket home. Um, but getting back to the, you know, I, I see them too. I see all the comments on, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And, and, you know, when the schedule gets released, I'm pretty sure you can't go more than five comments without where's the west coast and hey I, I you know i'm like everybody else on the west coast i would love to see a west coast swing but i don't want bassmaster to go broke because of it i don't want our anglers to go broke because of it i know how much it costs to drive across the country i just did it from uh, st lawrence to home like it's not cheap especially with gas prices right now it's ridiculous it's almost six dollars a gallon at my house i can't ask everybody to just sacrifice their income to come to the west coast because we really really want it it needs to be feasible it needs to be economically feasible for everybody involved i can't imagine how much it would cost bassmaster to tow two trailers to the west coast and get everybody on planes you know have you fly out to the west coast. And, you know everything there's a lot more moving parts than everybody realizes than just putting a Clear Lake California on the schedule. Um, and on top of that, like in California, just the state, which we won't, I don't want to get into politics, but just the state, they don't care about bass fishing. You know, they're not like a Sabine River who's going to make it a big show. Yeah. Like they don't want you there. They don't want Bassmaster there. So instead of complaining to Bassmaster, I think what a lot of the West Coast guys need to do is complain to the counties, complain yeah. to the state. Like, why aren't we doing this? Clear Lake, California is, I think it was voted the number one lake by Bassmaster over the past 10 years. And they could care less about having a bass tournament. So I, it's not Bassmaster's fault. It's it's you know it's the 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 governments around these places that don't understand what what a bassmaster tournament can really do for an economy yeah and, uh, if you can if you you know maybe if we get that going then maybe we can see another uh west coast swing but until then like it's got to make sense for bassmaster to come all the way out here and make that huge investment yeah, and, and I don't even think it's just Bassmaster. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think Bassmaster obviously has a big investment, but it's the 100 independent businesses, basically, that are yeah. represented on the Elite Series because, you know, Bass can plan for that. Bass can do, you know, there. But you know what? If you're four events into your season and you've had a tougher than average year, not you, but meaning one of those businesses, one of those anglers, and then you got to go out to the West Coast. Like, literally, it can be the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, that being said, as an MC, I would love us to go to the West. I fought hard. The last time we went out West, I was so excited to go out West. Um, to be totally honest, my dream didn't really work out. But I kind of got started around the 40th Classic. And <laughs> I jokingly told Jeremy Kinnis, I'll surely never last more than 10 years at this job. Uh, but at the 50th classic, let's have it at um, 
in Las Vegas and have it on Lake Mead because oh, to me God. that was the you know the classic to have it you know so I'm very pro West Coast but I I think that people like to throw things out and don't take into account how difficult it is to do business in California for a lot of reasons, how difficult it is for people to get there. But I would hope that we will be back there sometime in the future. And um, trust me, Bass does not hate the West no. Coast. Bass loves the West Coast. <laughs> it it just, but you're right. And anytime a schedule comes out, I mean, the truth of any schedule, anytime it comes out, literally other than nine lakes, people hate you. Like every oh. comment, oh, thank, like the, one of the comments I read this year was, you guys talk so big about St. Clair and then you don't even come back. We were there three weeks ago. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it, it's, it is what it is. But um, why do you think there, and I have a theory about it. Why do you think so many of the, if you look historically, how many of truly the greats, the hall of famers, future hall of famers are from the West coast. It's pretty amazing. Why do you think that is? Um, we have, and I say this all the time, uh, we have the, one of the best training grounds for a bass fisherman. Uh, if you, and, and not even just the West Coast, but like if you took Northern California especially, you're not going to find bodies of water so close to each other that are so different. And that leads a lot of anglers that come from the West Coast or the West Coast anglers in general, if you want to compete, you have to be as comfortable with six pound test and a spinning rod as you do with six to five pound braid and a frog. Like you can't, you can't have any holes in your game if you want to make it on the West Coast. If you want to be, you know, in an angler of the year race in a, in a, in a West Coast tournament circuit, like you have to know how to catch them on tidal water in the Delta. Clear Lake, you know, deep, shallow grass, docks. You go to the Motherlode Lakes or you go to like Oroville or Shasta. You got to know how to catch spotted bass. We can go up to Columbia River. Now you got to know how to catch smallmouth in a river. You go to the desert. You got to know how to catch smallmouth in the desert. Like we have an incredible, incredibly diverse um, region, basically. Yeah. And and that's, I think that's always been kind of why we have so many anglers that are just consistent, you know, they're, they're really good. You know, we don't have a lot that come, but usually when they do make it to the top level, they stay for a long time and they have a lot of success. And I think it's just because of the diversity that we, that we have, you know, it, it always, like, I, I always say, you know, when somebody asks me, what's your favorite technique? I say, I don't really have one. Like I have stuff that I would prefer, but my favorite technique is whatever's catched on that day. And that, I think that comes from me being comfortable with so many different techniques. Yeah. Uh, that's a great answer. And I agree with it. I, I think that, and, and the fact that it is difficult. So only the best of the best stick it out to that point. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There's some that give it a shot, but, but, you know, Skeet Reese was going to be Skeet Reese, but whether mm -hmm. no matter how difficult, you know, ish, it, it go, it, this goes on and on. I mean, I hate even naming names because then, you know, there's so many, but you look at how much work it is for any of those guys who have made it to the elite series to MLF, wherever they are fishing. It's a lot of work. And uh, I think it's truly only the best of the best that stick it out. I think it's the same thing with, with 
with Canadian anglers. Look at Canadian anglers and how many of them <laughs> that make it make an impact because they, I mean, they are they're the same guys who are dominating all the Canadian events when they're here. So one year into your elite series career, how different or how similar to what you expected has it been? I, I don't know. That one's a tough one because I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, you just hear things throughout, you know, my career getting coming up to this point and you just hear like, yeah, they're the best in the world. And yeah, they, you know, these are the best run tournaments in the world, you know, and, and the list goes on and on and on. So I really didn't have expectations of what it was going to be like. I just knew that I needed to work harder than I ever have before to make sure that I didn't have any regrets when the season ended, you know, if that makes any sense. It was more on me. I had a lot more expectations on me. Um, to, to do everything I could to compete because um, I knew this was going to be the toughest, the, it's going to be the toughest field I've ever competed against. I already knew that coming into it. So it was more expectations on me. Um, you know, I set the bar really high for, for what I do to put into it. Um, you know, I don't get to go take a six hour drive and go pre-fish a lake. Yeah. Uh, or pre-practice the lake, you know, I have to plan it years in advance or a year in advance, you know, or a couple months in advance. Like I got to make sure my plane tickets line up first before I can even think about pre-practicing somewhere. And um, having that, you know, kind of added, I don't know, it just, you know, I knew there was going to be a lot more work involved coming into this year, um, both on and off the water. And, uh, uh, obviously I'm super happy with how it worked out, but I also know that I could definitely, I, I think I can do even better than I did this year, both on and off. What, what, uh, what's life like around the elite series for you off of the water? Where, where are you, uh, are you doing hotels? You what, camping? How, how do you live your life on the road? Do you got roommates? What, what, what is, what's your life like when you're not casting? Yeah, I, uh, we just kind of bounce around. Uh, you know, I, I spent the first tournament, slept in the back of my truck. And then the sec second tournament, I called uh, a buddy of mine, Justin Hamner, and he said, uh, what are you doing for Seminole? I was like, oh, I was going to camp in the back of my truck. He's like, well, you want to split a room? I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Split a room there. And then uh, South Carolina, stayed with him again and Patrick. And, then, you know, I just kind of bounce around for everybody. Stay with Cobb at CNT, uh, stay with David Gaston a little bit. You know, we just, I just kind of bounced around and, uh, you know, that was, that was probably one of the cooler things about the Elite Series that I don't think I realized was just how incredibly down to earth and nice, like, and welcoming a lot of the anglers are. Um, you know, yeah, they, uh, their number one goal is to take my money, but they're going to do it very nicely pretty much they're gonna do it with a smile on their face you know <laughs> like hey you know, congratulations you know you, you made it through the elite series let me have your money but they're they, you know they do it really nicely that was that was a really cool part of it something i didn't really think about something i really didn't expect was just how welcoming and how kind of like, it's a pretty pretty special group of just people you know not just anglers just people pretty special group of people in general i think they've all 
fought the same fight. You know, I think there's a lot of that in it. Like, I, I think that it's the respect for knowing, like, they, I mean, Greg Hackney, who we've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast, himself literally explained what he went through qualifying for the Elite Series, requalifying for the Elite Series as hell that he never wants to experience again. Like, this is a guy who has literally won everything in the sport of bass fishing except for the Bassmaster Classic, Forest Wood Cup. FLW Angle of the Year, Elite Series Angle of the Year. He's won everything. And he said, that's the hell that I never want to go through again. <laughs> so I, I think that I think there's a lot of it that, that they realize, you know what I mean? Like, if you're here, you, you've paid your dues. And, and I think they've all been through that, too. They've all been the new guy at one point, you know? So I would hope in time, you know, you look at the new guys and and are embracing to them anybody like uh swindle the adam no i don't mean swindle like gerald swindle but anybody was there any like gamesmanship that you were shocked by on the elite series like hey no not really nothing nope. that i noticed nothing that i noticed you know i i'm always i always kind of like at least when i'm on the water i try to avoid people avoid boats and, you know, you, you hear the chatter in the morning and all that stuff, a little bit of chirping here and there, but um, nothing, nothing too exciting just yet. I think I was just trying, you know, everybody's trying to feel the new guys out and see what, what they're all about. But I, I didn't, nothing personally for me, but yeah, I, I'm sure it'll come in time. You know, I, I would hate to go and, and find myself in the creek with a, a Hackney or a Christie or somebody like that because. Uh, I feel like I'd be the one that turned around first. It's like, ah, no, that's it. That definitely <laughs> is. I don't care how many fish are in there. <laughs> uh, you said you think you can do better both on and off the water. Obviously, on the water, um, you've got to wait a few months to do that. But I'm assuming the off the water work started as soon as as you got home. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, you know, I'll be the first to admit it, I am not very good at the business side of it. It's, it's never been, it's never been the part that really excited me. You know, I know a lot of guys are all about the business side and that's where you get a lot of the longevity and a lot of the you know, longer careers come from being really good at the, the business side of bass fishing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not something I've ever focused on until really a couple of years ago, especially the last year coming into the elite series, you know, you realize, okay, I qualified for the classic and you got a $5,000 bill due in about three weeks. We need to make something happen because behind that $5,000 is another $40,000 that you owe. So getting, uh, you know, getting, it, it's a work in progress definitely for me. I won't say that uh, that I'm still very good at it at all, but it's definitely something that I know the importance of um, social media, the the building relationships with companies, all that stuff falls into one. Um, it's something that I really have put a lot more effort into than I ever have before, and it's something that I want to continue to do because. Like I said, I do know how important that is, that side of it is, you know, having those relationships and working with all your, you know, the companies that you work with, representing them while, you know, the list goes on and on and that stuff. But um, yeah, it, it's it's something I can do better and, and it's something I, I will continue to try to do better on. How do you try to do better on something like that? Is it literally just 
through conversations with fellow pros. Like, how do you learn that end of the business? There's no straightforward route to it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that for me. It was talking to other guys who've done it. You know, uh, I'm lucky enough to know. You know, I know Brandon, and and he's uh, he's helped me out a lot. Um, a lot of the guys have. You know, just these simple conversations, simple questions here and there. You know, how do you approach this? You know, how do you do that? Um, I always try to to ask people who who are really really good at it, and I think. You know, a majority of our elite series is really, really good at the marketing and the business side of it. So, you know, whenever I have a chance to sit down and talk to somebody about that, I definitely take advantage of that. You know, there's no, it's, it's a lot different. It's so funny because you think about the, the actual fishing side of it and you could go on YouTube and just go type in whatever you want to learn about and you're going to yeah. have 75 you know, different shows pop up and it's all there. It's readily available, but the business side of it is not, it's not there. Uh, it's the information on it is not as readily available. So you kind of, there's a little bit of just trial by fire, you know, just you know, uh, try this with one company, try that with another company and you know, see which one works. But a lot of it has definitely come from talking to people who are very successful at that side of it. And uh, that's something I always try to do with anything in life is, you know, talk to people who know more about it than you do. And hopefully some of that rubs off on you. Yeah. It, and it, you're right. I mean, there's no, you could literally say how to snell a hook and you like 75 to a hundred videos will literally be in your hand within seconds um, that you can watch some of them. I don't like that presenter, the way they talk too fast. I like this one. You know what I mean? Like you'll literally find one right yeah. to your liking, but there is no end. And it's so different than another sport in the way that like we use baseball, golf, all these things. If you start to achieve a certain level of success, there's people that are going to come along to try and help you. Some of them won't be helping you, but there's, you know what I mean? There's agents <laughs> and there's that side of it, but in fishing, there's very little of that. And, and in my experience, the more of that that there is, the less of that there is because companies want to deal with you directly as well. Like they want to get to know you. Um, how has this year been different? For, like if you look at the last few weeks since the season ended, I mean, I think one of the biggest fallacies is people think, oh, you, you qualify for the elites. And there's all these companies that are like, oh, you're an elite. We want <laughs> you have to do stuff on the elites. Like it's not that that is a that's a mythical thing. Like, I don't think people come running to you as soon as you qualify, but has it changed for you after having a great rookie season? It's definitely gotten easier. Um, you know, the first year I was very lucky to, to just know the right people and, and to get kind of that, that rookie season. You, you almost have people take risks on you. Um, you know, but once you prove yourself, and I feel like I've proven myself, at least on the fishing side of it and working on the business side of it, working on the marketing side of it. Um, it has it has been a little bit easier this year. Um, I won't say it's easy because I'm still not very good at it. But, um, you know, you, I just have a little more more firepower to go at, at different companies with. And, and that that definitely makes it easier. And, you know getting all the media coverage that you get through Bassmaster is that's what really, really makes it easy, especially for a guy like me who doesn't have, you know, I don't have the YouTube, uh, 
I don't have the YouTube show. I don't have the camera guys following me around all the time. So I have a very limited amount of, of content, I guess you would call it, to put out. But, you know, what Bassmaster does with all the great camera guys, I mean, I was just doing it this morning. I was putting a, um, a little uh, media package together and I just scroll through all the, all the pictures that I get sent. I'm like, these are all awesome. This makes my life so much easier. Uh, you know, then it used to be where I have to go scour Google and go copy and paste and all this stuff and, you know, go shoot something in my garage or whatever it ends up being. Having all that stuff, you know, and, and having the numbers behind it and all that stuff makes it a lot easier for me to go sell myself to a company uh, in a more professional manner. You said that you you don't have the camera guys following you making a YouTube show. And, and, and I think that is one of the things that just... I mean, especially these last couple of years has just exploded on the elite, like the amount of people that are document, like used to be able to just be an elite series pro. I mean, when Davey, Davey height fished the elite series, he'd show up for the tournaments. You know what I mean? He'd mm -hmm. have to do sponsor stuff, but he was an elite series pro. He did his thing, won tournaments and, and you could just live your life. Now it seems like you have to host a show and make the, you know what I mean? Like literally they're oh, producing yeah. the equivalent. I mean, they produce nine tournaments as opposed to 13 events. And I'm sure are 13 TV shows, 13 episodes of a TV show. So I'm sure. And they add other things in throughout the year, but literally they're producing a TV show and become an elite series pro at the same time. Is that something you want to do? Or is that something you'd not see yourself doing in the future? <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, it's not something I will say that I, I will, I'll say that it's not something I would do on my own. Um, I have like, I'm just, I'm into the fishing side of it. I, I like, like I said, with the business side, I'm not very good at it. It's because I'm not interested in it. Um, I know it's something that I have to do. Um, yeah. It's part of the job. Um, and you know, if you look at it, kind of being a YouTube channel is starting to be part of the job. Um, so if it is something that I need to do, I will do it. Um, but it's not something that I want to, you know, it's not like I'm not like Coop. Like Coop is so good at, you know, he puts in all the time. He films everything himself and he puts in edits. Like I see all his stories on Instagram. I don't know how you do all that. That's wild. Like your your show, I, I don't know how you do all your YouTube stuff and, and just keep it interesting. I'm not. A, I guess it comes down to I'm not a very creative person. Um, like I think I would really struggle with all that. I'm a very like one plus one is two guy. I, I'm not a very think outside of the box guy. So I would really struggle with the, with the editing and all that stuff on the YouTube side of things. But like I said, if I had to, absolutely, I I would do it. So if we see you coming out with a YouTube series, we can just assume you got paid. It was not my idea, I promise you. <laughs> but I think that's okay. And, I, and dude, I think it would be one of the most refreshing things in the world if you did do a YouTube series to literally say that. You know what I mean? Because it seems like YouTube's got so much of the, hey, how are you guys? Like everybody's trying to be what they've seen. But the ones that are really successful to me are people that, like you mentioned, Coop, Coop, that is Coop. That's who he is. That's whether he was on the Elite Series or not, he was going to be documenting what he was doing. You know, if if he didn't make the Elite Series, he's still making those videos. Like, that's who yep. he is. Um, Paul Nick, that's who he is. But yep. I think if you you have to try fake it, it, it doesn't 
it doesn't generally work out very good. But I feel bad for tournament pros because I'm like, it's just a weird time in history where like this is part of your job. Like now it mm-hmm. it never used to be. I mean, it used to be just no. people that could fish. Yeah, the laundry um, list of stuff that you know is kind of expected, if you will, from professional anglers is gone. It's gone through the roof. It, it's just getting longer and longer as far as the days go on, and the more social like the more social media platforms that come out. Now you you know you oh you have a Facebook oh that's cool. Do you have a Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube channel? Like where's the rest <laughs> of it? I'm like I'm still on Facebook. I'm still on Instagram. What's, what's all these other ones? it's just keeping up with all that stuff is absolutely crazy and then on top of that you know there's so many guys that are so good at it if i went and did it i'd be like what am i doing here i I don't belong here like this is not this is not where where i'm meant to be you know the guys that are really good at like you said paul and nick scott martin he's he's amazing at it and coop like all the guys that have one have a very successful one you can tell because they are genuinely good at it and they genuinely want to do that um and i think it really shows through through all their social media you know the list goes on and on of guys that are really good at all that but um yeah then all that stuff is <laughs> I, I get it, dude. And, and trust me, there's a lot of people I think that that feel exactly like you do. It's just not thing that you're good at. But but I mean, like everything else that you figured out, um, you know, I'm sure you'll figure it out as it goes along, and you'll figure out what level of it works for you. And and I think that that's the truth. Like I don't think that we live in a world where like all pro anglers are going to have to have YouTube channels down the road. Like I think that. There will be a lot of them that have it, but I think that there's other people that deliver other things. And and um, and you delivered some incredible finishes this year. Why do you think this rookie class was as good as it was? I think I think we just had. Obviously, they're all really good, but they're all really different, if you will. You know, we had a good variety of anglers come into the the elites this year and um i think that's what really kind of like you know we had what there was four rookies that won one right almost five yeah yeah we had well kyoya won one um joey won two um will davis won one so there was four that, events won by rookies this year. Four, yeah, four. Correct. Events. Am I forgetting yes. someone? Nobody, right? No, I think we're good there. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. But uh, if we like, did, we'll find out. We will hear about it. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but like that speaks volumes to how how good that rookie class is. I don't know if there's ever been four tournaments won by rookies in. No. Like that's insane, and. You know, they were all in different regions. They were all doing super, like, totally different things. Um, and, and just the versatility that came from this rookie class. Like, they are good at everything. And then, you know, we, I mean, there's no way to kind of beat around the bush on it. Like, the, the younger generation is very, very good at forward-facing sonar. Um, and I think that has to do uh, a lot with it, too, is, is like, if you – watch Vegeta fish which I, I watched Champlain over like it is amazing if you watch Joey fish on St. Clair it is amazing 
how good a lot of these guys are with that stuff. And I think that's, you know, you know there's no denying it. That's part of it. That is a big part of it is why um, maybe the rookie class was so good this year. Where do you put yourself in that? Um, With- you know, I, I, I know it's here to stay. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain, fairly confident in that. And I'm not, um, I guess, you know, I'm not the best at it. I, it's something that I work on. Um, you know, I try to go out at least two to three times a week and work on just that because I know that that's where this sport is going. I know, like I've seen, you see who wins. Um, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of forward facing. And it's something that I know I need to work on. It's something that I need to gain confidence in. Um, and, and I won't say that I'm, the best at it because I've fished against some of the best at it. They're they're the best at it, and uh, you know I didn't beat them, so I know I'm not the best at it. But it's it's something that I know is is going to be here for a long time. It's not going away anytime soon, and it's something that I know I need to have a lot of confidence in moving forward. Uh, and it, you know something really cool that I thought about the other day is I'm kind of like being 30 years old. I kind of got. I got a really good education on how to fish without forward facing, right? You know, I yep. spent 15, you know, 10, 15 years without forward facing. So I got, you know, I'm really, really good at, you know, just going down the bank or, you know, whatever kind of fish without it. And then, you know, these past four or five years, I've gotten a lot of education on how to use it. So I kind of, like, I feel really lucky with where I kind of grew up in the fishing era to where I'm just as confident going down the bank as I am, you know, in the middle of Champlain scoping around for small, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a cool deal that I, I don't, I just got lucky that that's where I kind of landed in the sport and, you know, where I got brought up in, because I don't know if, you know, in five years, if a lot of the younger anglers are going to know how to really go down the bank because, that's all you're going to see, you know, that's, that's going to be the big thing is just forward facing sonar for the next, however long. Um, there's some like the younger anglers, they're not, they might not know how to just go pick apart a lay down or go throw a spinner bait up against the bank. And, you know, kind of having both of those in my arsenal, having confidence in both of those, I think it's going to be a, a pretty big advantage for a lot of guys who, who have both those in their, in their back pocket. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, I I literally went into this podcast expecting we wouldn't even talk about it because we've talked about, I mean, I've literally talked to <laughs> I it. I tried not to. You have too. Now, but it, you can't not talk about it because as soon as I asked about the rookie class, I mean, that is one of the questions. That's what mm-hmm. you know, people are going to say. Well, I mean, we saw what Kyoya did. We saw also, we saw what Joey mm-hmm. did with both of his victories. Um, and it's just such a it's such a puzzling topic just because it is such a huge learning tool and it's such but then when you say things like five years from now we might have hot shot rookies that don't know how to do the basic principle of bass fishing mm-hmm. that sounds scary too to me but uh, i mean or will the basic principle of bass fishing totally change in five years because we'll have learned yeah. so much stuff 
like routinely using it, I learn stuff that I think, you know, you're so set that they live on that break and this is where they, and then you're like, no, they don't. They just go yeah. wherever the hell they want to go. It turns <laughs> out. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild thing. Um, if there was, if there was a vote, would you expect it to be part of the sport for the future or would you expect it to get voted out of the sport? No, I, I expect it to stay. Um, I don't, I don't see it going anywhere and I would vote for it to stay because, uh, you know, I've put the last three years of fishing. I've dedicated a lot of time to learning how to use it. And I think it's not, it's one of those things where everybody it's been available. It's not like it's been a secret. It's been available for everybody and everybody's had the opportunity to get very good at it. And yeah. I've put a lot of time in. And honestly, I think it'd be kind of unfair if you took it away now because so many people have dedicated so much time to learning how to use it and how to find fish with it. And list goes on and on with that. But um, yeah, I, I, I would be, I'd be for it. And I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. It, um, I think, I think the topic will circle, I, regardless of what decisions are made anywhere, I believe this will be a topic that people will fight about for a long, <laughs> long time. To, I mean, and I think that's a lot of it. Like, I think it, there's a lot of traffic being driven by it. Like it's, it doesn't shock me that it became a thing when it did like, you know, I get it. The tail end of the season, we have a lot of smallmouth tournaments. So obviously that made it a thing. But it's also the tail end of the season. There is nothing for anybody else to talk about now, except yeah. for that and some <laughs> other rules that people want to change. Um, so it becomes a thing. And, and it's mm -hmm. just um, so we'll see. I mean, if, whenever whatever I say about it, somebody roasts me on it. If I say I'm so undecided on it, they say I'm on the fence and I'm scared because I'm paid. Not to, Nobody's <laughs> told me not to say anything positive or negative about it. Like it literally... Mm -hmm it's just an observation. And if you yeah. can't see that there's, it's a polarizing topic. Um, and I, and I think it's foolish just to say all one way or all the other. I think you should be open-minded and get people's opinions and thoughts on it because like everything, it, it, it changes. If you could change one thing about the elite series, about tournament competition, what would it be? <laughs> About the actual tournament fishing. No, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because like, I kind of like my first year, you're just kind of happy to be there. Kind of one of those deals where I was just really, really happy to be there. The actual competition of it, as uh, far as a rule or something, I don't know. I, I, I'm living my dream job. Like, I don't want anything to change. <laughs> you know, it worked out really well for me. I know it's not the most uh, exciting answer, but that's like, that's it for me. Is is I'm actually, I'm super, super happy with how everything works up there, how everything, you know, works out as far as the competition of it. I think, I think that's a good answer, though, because I because I think, look, when I ask it a question like that, I always feel bad asking a question because you're kind of asking somebody to search for something you know what i mean like literally you could pull anything up you know like here's a piece of paper tell me what you'd like changed about that piece of paper 
If you spend enough time staring at that piece of paper, you'll come up with something you'd like changed about it. Yeah, those edges, they they cut. We need to fix that on it. Like, yeah. so if you do look at things like that, but dude, you are living the dream. You're living something that you fished hard and worked your ass off to get here. So congratulations. And it, it is good to hear from somebody that's just like, man, I, I just, I want to keep living this dream. And, uh, and I, I can't wait to watch it unfold because, uh, if your first year on tour was um, was any indication of how things are going to go, it's going to be an exciting few years you have ahead of you. Um, how weird is it that you have a smallmouth bass record? And I remember you <laughs> earlier in the year, like I don't know, it was a written article. It might have been on the Bassmaster podcast or whatever, but somewhere you said that that was what you were concerned about. That is your weakness. Yeah, it still is. It still is because, you know, I don't know if you saw day two and day three on the St. Lawrence, but it was pretty ugly for me. Um, but yeah, like that's one of those things where you just, you couldn't, I, going into this season, I couldn't have even thought that up to like that could actually happen. It's so far fetched, to, especially for me. Like I could see somebody else setting the record but like for a guy from california who has basically zero experience doing any sort of northern smallmouth fishing and to go set the record it, it's beyond me it's so crazy um but it's definitely something i'm proud of like it, it was it was one of those days where it's kind of like the first day of competition on the elites at okeechobee it's one of those days those really really special ones that i will never forget like I could give you the play-by-play -play and, and everything that went on that day. It was, it was super, super cool. And and it's, uh, man, I like, yeah. What do you even say? California setting a smallmouth bass record against a bunch of like some of the best, the best smallmouth fishermen in the world. At what point throughout the day were you like, wait a second? Like, I mean, I know the day how it starts and what goes through your mind. You're like, hey, I just, oh, there's a good one. I put it, you know, that's the first one. If I can get four more decent ones, I'll have had it. I've survived today. Then you get another good one. But at what point was it like, wait a second, we went way past good. And, and this is ridiculous. Yeah. So it was really, really cool how it worked out because I found most of those fish the day before. Um, and my starting spot, I just went to the spot where I got literally the most bites because I wasn't catching a lot of fish, but I was catching the right ones. And my first drift, I had, I think I had, it was like a probably a half a mile drift and I had 21 for four. And that was it like, I think that was like 8.15, 8.30, somewhere around there. And then I went back up. I was like, okay, let me, like, if I can just get one more, this is going to be awesome. And then I catch another five pounder. Okay, well, now my scale says 26. Uh, don't need to catch any more here because hopefully they stay and we can work on them the rest of the day. So that was, I think, 9.30 I left that starting spot. I had 26. I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. You know, we're going to be sitting pretty good. You know, let's see if we can catch one more. I, need, I had a four and a quarter. So I was like, well, it can be far-fetched to call a four and a quarter. But if there was anywhere to do it, it'd be like Ontario, St. Lawrence. Like, so I do that, and I fished a couple spots. And then I think like five spots later, I go, I see one, I cast at it on active target. I cast at it, 
it bites, it comes up, it's a six and a half pounder. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. I looked at my scale and it said that actually the last two numbers on my scale are, are they don't work anymore. This uh, That part of the screen went out. So it said 28 and then mystery numbers behind it. So I had no idea. I knew I was over 28, but I didn't know how much I was over 28. So, you know, being the responsible bass fisherman that I am, I abandoned everything that I had found in practice and went and fished all new water, trying to find more for the next day because you hear of how smallmouths move and all that yeah. stuff. But yeah, I go in and, uh, you know, um, Ethan, the, the photographer for striking actually came up to me. Dude, you really have 26? Because I just typed them in. I didn't have a marshal that day. I just typed them in when I got back in the United States and I had service in. I think I typed in like 26 on Bastrack. He's like, you really have 26? I was like, no, it's probably closer to 29, I think. He's like, no way. And, you know, all the, everybody's all around me. Hackney was behind me in the bag line. He's like, what do you got? Like 29? He's like, no way. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Grabs my bag and opens it up. He's like, dang, you really do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was unreal but that whole day was just it was an absolute whirlwind and after that probably the the two coolest moments of that was getting up on stage lisa put them on the scales and for some reason i really wanted them to break 29 so i'm just watching right there where the the weight comes in and i see 29 that is so freaking cool you call it out we do the hold all five fish up all that deal and then uh, emily was actually waiting for me off stage and she had a little piece of paper in her hand. And she was like, do you know what the record is for five smallmouths? It's like, no, I don't. And she showed me the piece of paper and it was 28, whatever it was before. It's like, no, that like, what do you even say to that? You set a record in bass fishing. What'd, what, what'd you do with the slip? Do you still have the slip? I still have the slip. I put it, I think I put it in a Ziploc bag and I put it in my boat so it didn't get wet in my pocket. Still got that, yeah. It was just, uh, it's just an unbelievable day. Like, I, I, it's one of those days you can't even put into words because it was just like a dream day. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, it, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. But um, to steal a line from Bob Cobb, the thrill of victory and the agony of angling. The next few days, they moved. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they moved and you know that just shows that i gotta i gotta work on that i got a hole in my game everybody else kept catching them and i didn't so that's something i'm gonna work on for next year because smallmouth tournaments are never gonna go away and i need to learn how to catch them and i need to learn how to continue to catch them because apparently if the wind shifts 180 degrees they disappear <laughs> weird like that yeah. So how, how do you, what is your off season? Like, what are your plans? Like, do you like, how does a pro angler train to get better for the next season? So I put, you know, unfortunately I can't just go back up there and start working on my small mouth again. So, uh, you know, I just try to get, I try to think about, and this is just the fishing side of it. You know, I try to think about how the holes in my game, you know, what do I need to work on? Um, you know, forward-facing sonar, active target. I'm going to spend a lot of time. I have spent a lot of time, you know, trying to get better at it, trying to see it in different situations. Um, <clears throat> you know, we do have a few smallmouth places 
that are relatively close and I plan on going and fishing those for a few days and trying to, you know, find smallmouth and move on. But a lot of it is just, you know, the fishing side of it, a lot of it is just finding the holes in your game and then just trying to work on it, trying to get better at it. Um, the river, uh, Sabine River, I did terrible there. That was, I think that was my worst finish of the season. So I'm actually going to try and work on my river fishing this year um, because that's clearly, it's always been a hole in my game. True river fishing, stuff like that. So, you know, just try to figure out what you're bad at and try to get better at it. That's that's what I do in the off-season fishing-wise. Nothing crazy. It's something I've always done. Um, it's actually interesting. I've never... So every year I've always taken like a month off from fishing after the season's over, uh, just kind of decompress. And you know, I don't want to look at a fishing rod. I don't want to touch a fishing rod. I don't want to think about a bass. And this has been the first year in a long time that I immediately, like the whole ride home from St. Lawrence, I was like, how do I get back on the water and how do I continue this? Because I know these guys aren't going to stop, so I can't stop either got to keep it going got to keep working on your game and it's it's actually been really really exciting it's been the first time where i've been excited to go fishing after a grueling season you know wow so that's just level of competition thing i mean iron mm-hmm. sharpens iron you know that they're working on it so you got to keep working yeah you can't stop because especially with where we're at in the fishing world right now is is it's kind of, it's almost an arms race of who gets the best at forward facing right now. So um, I know that's a big, big thing. And I know I need to, to work on it. And I know I have another, a lot of other poles in my game. And the cool thing is that fishing gets this level of competition is they expose where you suck. They will let you know, okay, you are not very good at this. <laughs> Compared to us, you are not very good at this. You need to work on it. So that's been a really, really cool deal um, is kind of exposing where my weaknesses are and, and where I need to work on, where I need to put that work in. It's a great, great way to look at things. Um, I'll tell you one of my weaknesses, and um, I think it, everybody I work with kind of feels the same way right now. This whole uh, – Brian Smith and Brian Schmidt thing. I know they're totally freaking different. I know they're totally different, but for whatever reason, it cross threads your brain. And to me, I don't think I had a problem with it until one day I introduced you guys taking off and you were like very close to each other. And from that moment, mm-hmm. like I have, I honestly, I'll be honest. When I see your name, I panic. I have to read it a few times. <laughs> uh, I don't pay attention a lot of times when I'm up there, but with your name, I have to pay attention because uh, for whatever reason, I, I know I'm going to screw it up and probably already have a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Um, you know, I've actually been tagged. I think Brian won, he won something a couple years ago. Champlain. Uh, yeah, maybe it was Champlain. I don't remember what it was, but I remember I got a few congratulation. Uh, I got tagged in a few congratulation posts on Instagram, which was uh, it was pretty interesting. Like, yeah, you might want to. I commented below. Like, yeah, you might want to change this. This is not the same guy you're thinking of. It was a picture of him and a congratulations post. And I'm like, ah, no, that's not me. So you are not the first time, first one to ever mess my name up and probably uh, it- in the lap. 
promise. It's just, I don't know why. I mean, they're not the same, but they're just similar enough that it, it just, mm-hmm. it, I mean, and the more you talk about it, the more it's going to happen. So I probably shouldn't even have brought it up, but um, <laughs> at least now I feel like, Hey, I've addressed it directly to you. I'm sorry in advance. I'll try to be better in the future, but um, cross threads my brain. That's what I've got to work on in the off season is, is saying you your go. guys' names right. But um, dude, thanks for spending a little time and and let me get to know you a little better. But let's let's do a speed round here, real quick. Favorite movie of all time? What is it? National Security. What is? I don't even know if I know that movie. It's a Martin Lawrence movie. It's, I don't know. It's just a funny, funny movie. It's either that or any of the Star Wars. All right, all right. Favorite favorite band of all time? Uh, I'm not very speedy. Yeah, you know, it's sad because I can think of them. Uh, Shine Down, that's what it is. Okay. Favorite song of all time? Mm. I'm really bad at this. This is not very speedy at all. No, you're the speed part is <laughs> really. I've never been really good at the speed part. Um, I just draw blanks when everybody does the speed rounds with me. Oh my gosh, I'm yeah, never doing gonna... one again. That's for no, sure. you should never, no, you should never do a speed round with me. Okay, do you ever get a Christmas gift as a child or something growing up that, like, <laughs> what was your Red Rider BB gun? Uh, it was the GameCube, Nintendo GameCube. Oh, wow. Wow, there you mm-hmm. go. That's a different answer mm-hmm. I've never got before. Yeah. What's uh this isn't speed round, but ultimate goal, what do you want to leave this sport with? Yeah, it's it's weird because whenever I think of like ultimate goals, my my new one that changed uh a little over a year ago was just make my son proud. Make my Great family goal. proud, make my son get make my son proud because um, yeah, it definitely would have been a different answer over a year ago, but he just turned one. I mean, he's, he's, he's my whole, him and my wife, they're my whole world. And that's just, that's just it. I want to make them proud. And... Dude, I don't think I've ever heard a better answer ever making your son proud. That's a, <laughs> that, that is a great goal in life. And, um, I think just by answering that, you probably, made him proud or will be in the future when he listens to this yeah, podcast. Maybe One-year-olds yeah. is not our target market, <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure before you know it, he'll be in the room listening to these shows. Yeah. But a little uh, redemption from my speed round there. <laughs> no, it's a great answer. Make my son proud. I love it. I love it. It's a great answer. Dude, it's great to have you on the Elite Series. It, uh, it's been great catching up with you a little here and uh, enjoy your off season and uh, we'll be in touch soon. That sounds good. I appreciate you having me on, Dave. It's been awesome. Thank you very much. It was a great conversation. This has been Bryant Smith. (laughs) Not to be confused with anybody else with a similar name. (laughs) Great stuff from Bryant Smith. Well, all up until the speed round, it kind of the the wheels fell off there. But other than that, it was wonderful. But don't go anywhere because we got more. How about a little bit of Jake's take with Jake Latonis? Straight back from the Bassmaster Open on Lake of the Ozarks. Jake's take back in your life. Talk to me, Jake. What's up? 
Well, well, not much. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the goods from you. I just, I, I got home from the dentist, so my mouth's a little sore. But hey, Jake's take must go on. <laughs> the dentist, the dreaded dentist. Like I said before, I'd rather, I'd rather hang out with my ex-wife than go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. <laughs> well, um, that wasn't. <laughs> You weren't ready for that one, were you? No, 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 I wasn't. You caught me at a weakened state. Um, all right. Yes, so I just got back. Dentists or ex-wives. Um, <laughs> talk to me about the Open. Yeah, we just got back from Lake of the Ozarks, and we're winding down. I mean, we're down to that was the second to the last event, and yeah. you know, people are really. I mean, there's so much talk about finishing in the top 10 because no one wants to go through this again next year <laughs> everybody wants to qualify and, and jump in the elites and really all you have to do is qualify yet you, you got to be in the top 10 because again we talked about this last week kenta is still in the top five or six yeah so you know the 10th place guy as long as kenta stays the 10th place guy is going to make it into the elite so there's a lot a lot at stake right now and uh lake of the ozarks Congrats i was with kyle patrick kyle patrick he who's uh, in the top 10 who's in seventh place right now i'm or sixth place right now and so was the guy you were with jamie bruce um fellow canadian and um sorry i should let you i that's digress. okay go ahead Yeah, we we talked about you and gussie he's from gussie's hometown right yeah 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 i actually texted gussie while we were uh fishing and Gussie was in fishing a tournament somewhere at the same time, but I did hear back from him uh, last night, I think when he got home. So that's pretty cool. They're, they're buddies. And, and, uh, Jamie was a very pleasant guy. He, uh, great, dude. great guy. And, uh, you know, he was, I, I didn't realize that brush piles play such a large role in that Lake of the Ozarks, uh, fishery, very similar to like Eufaula, Alabama does, um, so, you know, they were basic fishing, instinctual fishing and, and checking things out on the front face and sonar under docks and around docks and brush piles is really, um, what was, what, what played. And I think, I think, uh, Kyle Patrick won mostly fishing some, uh, slightly offshore brush piles. That's where he caught all of his fish with a brush hog. So, yeah, they're all amped up, and all the young guys are, that are in the top 10 are, you know, sailing into this last event with their fingers crossed. And I think you can look at the top 10 and look at the consistency and pick four or five out of there that are absolutely going to qualify for the elites because they've been there all year. Yeah, yeah. It, it It's, I mean, it's going to go right down to the wire for a bunch of people that – uh you know, obviously Bobby Lane sitting in 15th place, Ben Milliken in 17th place. I mean, everybody look at Sam George in 12th place. There's not a soul on earth that doesn't want to see him make it. Uh, I mean, right. he's been so close so many times in the past, but all those names, but you mentioned Jamie Bruce, who's now in 10th place and inside qualification for the elite series, which to me is, I mean, there's so many Cinderella stories, but man, what a Cinderella story. Like to have that dude drive all through the night to get to see his buddy win the classic. And he had already signed up for the opens at that point. But, but I mean, just the motivation you saw 
in him from that moment. But but as Gussie said, man, if he makes it on the elites, he's going to be there for a while and he's going to uh, take his pound of flesh because he definitely can catch them. But the one thing he couldn't avoid was was you chilling him out on the final day. What happened? Oh, he was dude. your day two later. It looked like Jamie Bruce was going to win. And it did not. I mean, what happened that day? I don't know. My luck is running out. <laughs> did you not wear the lucky buff? I actually did not wear my lucky buff. Don't tell. Don't tell Jamie. Well, you just did. <laughs> I know. Dick. That Everybody. is a dick move. I only wear hey. this buff for some others. <laughs> well, hey, what I was thinking was at the last open with Bobby Lane, I wore it and it didn't work. So I thought, well, let me try something new. So okay. I was just moving on. Right. All right. You told me a few days ago that I just show the highlights of my lucky buff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's not always lucky, it turns out. Um, but what hey, happened this, that day? Just didn't get bites or oh he caught he caught quite a few fish. They were just, you know, on Lake of the Ozarks, the smallmouth had to be 12 in, or I'm sorry, the spots have to be 12 inches and which are, you know. <laughs> don't do anyone any good when everyone's catching 15 inch largemouth or better. And so they have to be 15 inch. Um, and you know, he caught, I would say 20 to 25 fish that were four, 14 and a half to 14 and three quarter inches. In fact, he had to let one go, um, at the weigh in because he, he measured it in the boat, but I guess it was just so stressed out. It shrunk. And when he got Brinkage. to the, shrinkage yeah when he got back to the dock it was it was under so he had to toss it back so that didn't help him either but i mean he caught fish he just didn't he just didn't run into the right ones and i think it was much more of a grind on that final day than it had been the day prior days before do, do they get four days of practice for the opens official practice uh, well, this one was different because this was back to back, right? And right. this one ended on a Sunday, which they normally end on a Saturday. So right. I guess, well, this one started Friday, right? So yeah, I get. I guess the last one started, ended on, yeah. So I guess they get four days. I mean, I, dude, the reason, the whole reason we have you on is to tell us this stuff. <laughs> to bring Why the, the hell are you asking me questions? Well, I'm just trying to verify because I'm pretty sure they get four days of practice. Which to me, I'd like to. I'd like to know what you think about. It. I think that's like almost too much practice. It's just that much more pressure on the lake, and like we all know, I mean, even in the elites, a lot of times going into day one or day two, you know, you can throw practice out the window because the climate changes or something changes, and you know, they just have to go fishing. And and uh, I don't think that came into play at Lake of the Ozarks because. I, I've never seen so many docks in my life. That place, that place looks like, looks like Lake Hartwell got smashed together with Panama City Beach, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and it's rough because there's so many party boats. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, that place is insane with party boats and the weather was beautiful. So it was, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as like the St. Lawrence River from Waddington out, but it got pretty bad. It, it was Partyville, USA. I mean, it, it is a party lake, but but big numbers of lake of uh, fish, right? Like they're oh, yeah. catching a lot. Like that's not a fishery where they're scraping five bites a day. I mean, they're catching 50 fish a day. A lot of there's times, a right? lot of there's a lot of fish. I think, it you know, it was in a transition period. So, 
they had a tough time finding a uh, bigger fish. I mean, I think, I think Kyle caught 18 or 19 pounds on the final day. And that, uh, what's the Japanese guy's name that came in second. There's another, yet another Japanese guy coming, climbing up the ladder. <laughs> are you, are you and, asking me what his name yeah, is or you got it pulled up? Yeah. Even right if I on. knew, I probably couldn't say it anyway, even if I am half Japanese. <laughs> I don't I don't have it pulled up. No. I mean that's why that's why I'm talking to you. Well I he mean, he got he caught sixteen or seventeen pounds, so he made it interesting, but I'm pretty sure Kyle won by like five or six pounds. It was kind of a runaway on day on on that last day because you know the most Suki, people Kita. Yeah, Kita. Kita. Kita? Is it Kita? Kita? That's yep, yeah, that's right. And so yeah, he he was the course. only one that really made it interesting, and everybody else kind of uh, had a had a grinder day. Um, so you know Kyle kind of ran away with it there at the end. And but Kyle, a lot of fish. that's been coming for a long time with him. I mean, he's definitely one of those dudes who has been knocking at the door and um, having a great season all year long in um, the top ten right now. So one event left to go. It is going to be. A pressure cooker. I mean, you obviously mentioned Bobby Lane. Bobby Lane, a lot of people looking to see if he can make it back into the elites. Love to have him there, obviously. But it's setting up for a best case. I mean, best case scenario, he's leading the points right now and he goes to that final event. Relax. Well, that's not best case, I guess. He's in 15th place. So he's got to move up five spots. What do you figure he has to do to solidify his elite series berth? I well, I think, I mean, he's going to have to finish what top five to get in. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Points the math are pretty close. It. Like if you look at the points, it's not. It, he's not that far out. So, I think this is one of those ones where, I mean, there'll be people doing arithmetic. Um, oh yeah. But I think this is one where you just fish and you try and do as well as you can. I mean, that, that's simple and stupid, but but really, like, I think this is – look at the Elite Series, how it all ended. I mean, at one point, I was told that Matty Wong was mathematically eliminated from the Elite Series, basically. Even if he won the last two events, couldn't make it. Well, he made it. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces, and it depends how certain people do – you know, if if the five people ahead of Bobby kind of struggle, that makes his route a lot easier, obviously. Um, but there's always the five people that are right below Bobby that could have. So it, it'll and there's a lot more at play other than Bobby Lane. Obviously, a lot of people looking at, at his standings. But I mean, that's what it's all coming down to this final stop. And that's. It's what exciting. it is. I mean, it, exciting, it will man. be exciting to see who who uh, who makes the elite series, who gets oh so close. Um, and when's that event? That would be October four, October thirteenth, and four twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth are the tournament days, and we'll be there on that Saturday covering live for FS1 and dot com Bassmaster dot com um, from like seven a.m. to eleven eleven a.m. FS1 and then and then live.com after that. So everybody tune in because this can I mean I get I just got goosebumps thinking about it because there's so much at stake and all these guys have poured their 
their guts out on the table, you know, for this, for this moment to qualify for the elites, even the Ish Monroe's and, and Bobby Lane's. And, you know, like you said, let's throw Ben Milliken in there as well. There's a lot at stake. And the last thing they want to do is have to turn around and try to, you know, start all over and requalify next year. So I'm looking forward to it. And all the, the young guys at the top, those guys are, those guys are phenomenal. I mean, it's going to be really interesting and they're really young and to have them in next year's rookie class is going to be pretty fun too. So I'm looking forward to it, man. You think it's a, di- I mean, or is it too early to tell? Can we not tell for another, you know, obviously this is the first year where you have to fish all nine. And, and that some people love it. Some people hate that. And and we've talked about that in many different directions. So I don't want to rehatch it, but have, do you, is it too early to say whether, you know, the crop is strong? I mean, it's hard to be stronger than the rookies we had this past year. I mean, they won four out of, out of nine events. I mean, I think you got the same caliber of anglers moving up from 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 the opens into next year. You know, I think it's the same level, the same mentality, the same style, the same generation of people moving up. So, you know, I mean, we're in this we're in this really interesting sort of crossover transition between I mean, I guess we always are, but maybe I'm just you know, paying more attention to it now. I don't know, but it seems like we've got a lot more really, really young guys that, um, you know, that are, that are sort of mixed into this elite class of anglers and it makes it really interesting, brings up controversy again, you know, we're going to bring up the whole front facing sonar deal and all that. Um, but you know, it's just a, it's just a, a mix of young and and older guys now. So, you know, I don't know, I don't know where it's going, but it looks pretty young to me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of young pros, um, and it, it, I mean, and they've worked hard to get there. Those they know that, what they're they doing. Make man. it. I mean, yeah, I would say that that the. It is crazy how that has ramped, whether, you know, the collegiate stuff, the everything, but it's just like young pros. I mean, you, I mean, you better catch them quick because you got two years anyways, when you get there. So there's no time to kind of tread water and kind of figure your way out. Um, But it definitely does seem like pros are getting better, younger, quicker, more prepared, more. And I think even just the, the, the pressure cooker of the nine events, even if you dislike that decision, you have to say, man, that they, they to pressure somebody through nine events to hold it together through three events is exactly. one thing. I mean, that's, but three events is real quick. I mean, it's over just like that. Yeah. I mean, but to hold it together through nine, to do kind of the media that a lot of these guys have done to, to geographically test yourself. I mean, you're not fishing three events that are all close to you. You're, you're, I mean, you just had to catch them on Lake of the Ozarks. A few weeks ago, you had to catch them up on Lake Ontario. It's an elite tour. It's an elite tour. It really is. I mean, we're going to Harris chain a lot. In fact, you know, I was talking to Kenta Kamira at weigh-ins there on the last day at, at, uh, at Lake of the Ozarks, we were just sitting behind the stage chatting and he was, I asked him, I was like, why do you, you know, why do you fish? Why don't you go back to Japan or why do you fish all the opens? He says, because now it gives him an opportunity to fish a lot of lakes 
that the elites are perhaps going to go to in the next one or two years or vice versa. And, you know, he makes extra, I mean, he's, he, he's kind of making a living over there. Right? Yeah. He's doing yeah. really well, but you know, his reasoning is very uh, intelligent in terms of being able to fish a tournament since he's here anyway, and get practice on these different lakes that, you know, um, that may come into play in the elites in the next couple of years. So, you know, I found that to be very interesting. And, and again, Kenta is always, I love talking to him. That was, we talked for probably 20 or 30 minutes on the sidelines there. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed chatting with him. How many heaters did he burn in 30 minutes? Heat, uh, two. I mean, that's when, all, that's all that he, yeah, but he was drinking a Red Bull. <laughs> oh. Six Red Bulls a day and two, two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, yeah. You should have seen, it actually was funny because. I was messing with Kenta a little bit at the final elite of the year and it was the final day. I mean, so, so Kyle Welter had already won angler of the year and the way the doc was set up, they were literally right across from each other. So I was having this conversation with Kenta asking him, but I was, it was, it was a loud enough conversation. I mean, most of mine are um, <laughs> that, you could see Kyle was paying attention. I was kind of looking at Kyle, like as he would answer. And I, I, I knew it would blow Kyle away. And I'm like, so how many Red Bulls a day? <laughs> he says six. And Kyle, like, it was just so like, you just look at Kyle and you're like, there's a dude who doesn't eat bread <laughs> because his brain <laughs> will think about things. Like and he's competing against a dude that is fueled by nicotine and Red Bull. Jacked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally jacked. Um, all right. Well, good, good stuff, Jake. I mean, yeah, anything man. else from the open? I mean, it was cool getting back into traditional fish and flipping docks. It That place reminds me so much of Lake Hartwell. Um, there's just, you know, everything's docks. And when, when you find a pattern, you know, that pattern sets up on most of the lake, even though it's a humongous lake, it sets up all around. So he found what Jamie Bruce had found on day two was a lot of his fish were relating to docks that were close to like pumpkin size rock riprap yeah. uh, on the points and that's where he was trying to really focus on so he was running new water the entire day i don't think he uh, i don't think any spot he went to was a repeat from day one or day two so you know, it was, it's, it's, it, again, it reminds me of Lake Hartwell. When you find a pattern, it sets up that way and lots of docks and flipping. <laughs> was he just using like a three, three sixty to kind of identify those rocks? Is that how he was making sure he was? No, he was literally blowing down the lake and looking down just like Jason Christie did at the classic at Hartwell. He did the same exact thing. He was blowing down the lake, mapping it out as well, but uh, looking down the coves, to see where, if they had the right kind of rocks on those points and, you know, with docks around it. So I like doing that because they're fishing new water, you know, they're, it's really kind of a guessing game, but they're on a pattern. So they've got a, enough confidence in it to burn a lot of time and burn a lot of fuel getting around to these spots. So I had fun. He's a, he's a really nice guy. He's a great I, dude. I, I told great him he dude. reminds me of Bill Lambeer, the old, the old, uh, uh, Detroit Piston. You remember that? Remember him? Yeah. Why? Because he's tall. No, he he just he looks like Bill Lambeer. <laughs> he said, why? "I have no idea." He said, "I have no idea tall? who you're talking about." He's Canadian. <laughs> hey, uh, basketball was invented by a Canadian, my friend. 
Really? You know that? True story. Nation Cut the whole out of the yeah. Really? Yeah. He's Canadian? He's Canadian. America wow. forgets that. Hey. But he is Canadian. Did you ever um, see the was I don't it, even know think, that because we had like a heritage commercial or something growing. You know, like whatever. Basketball was invented by Bill Naismith. I mean, yeah. There's a anyways. I don't know if you ever saw it, but there's a ESPN 30 for 30 um documentary about the basketball rules, the original written basketball rules that an alum from Kansas University wanted thought that 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 should be enshrined. You know, Kansas is uh, a, a field. Allen Fieldhouse is their home uh, court stadium or their uh, yeah. arena. And they have a museum when you walk in. I've seen I saw Tennessee and Kansas play there one time. And they have these glass, it's like a museum on the outside of the arena when you walk in. And so this guy, this alum from Kansas, he had started a fundraiser and raised like two and a half million dollars and ended up buying the original written rules by Naismith for basketball for the University of Kansas and is now enshrined there. I, I believe, I believe that's where it is. It's pretty cool. Great stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. I, I just I just know he's Canadian. That's all I know from the commercial. And it was reminded this year at the Super Bowl when there was that like Thanks Canada commercial that I mean, it didn't actually ironically air in Canada. But all of a sudden I got all these people texting me. Thanks, Canada. And I was like, what does this even mean? But it turns out I'm the only Canadian they knew. But uh, if guys like Jamie Bruce keep catching them like the way they do, they'll get to know a few more. And um, thanks, dude. Have a yeah. good week. Yeah. One more. One more. Well, I got college bracket this weekend. It's this weekend college this bracket? This coming weekend is college bracket. I leave I leave Friday and we're covering all three days. It's Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And obviously whoever wins the college bracket gets into the classic. They get a free ticket into all nine opens next year. I mean a, a new boat, a truck. All that stuff that Lewis Manetti got last year, so awesome. you know, it's, that's a big that's a big deal. Awesome! I look forward to watching it, and I look forward to hearing about it on next week's Jake's Take. So you'll be back in our life again. So until then, take care, dude. Bye, Dave. Take care of those teeth. Bye, bye Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good conversation with Jake Latondris. Got to thank him. Obviously, Brian Smith for being on this week's show. And thank all of you guys for tuning in uh, here on uh, Wednesday. Putting a little hump back in your hump day. Or as one of our viewers calls it, happy Wednesday. I hope you have enjoyed this. But regardless, I hope you go out there and have a great week. And make somebody else's week better by just smiling and being kind to them. It makes a big difference in this world. So enjoy being, get out there, enjoy yourself. And uh, I got to catch a flight to Springfield. So I'm out of here where I'll hook up with this guy, Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?